The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Roger Whitney. Uh, he is the retirement man. He's an expert on planning for retirement. Welcome to the show, Roger. Hey, great to be here, Jordan. So let's start with a little bit of your background uh, leading up to becoming the expert in retirement. Uh, give us a little bit of your uh, life history here. Well, I've been in this industry for uh, 24 years, and I followed the typical path of financial advisor. So I started off you know, investing in stocks and helping people build portfolios and slowly figured out what my core competency was and went back to school to get my certified financial planner and other degrees. And about 11 years ago, myself and my two partners went independent and started an independent firm to serve clients from a fiduciary standpoint rather than as a salesperson. That's the, okay. that's the real quick history of where I've come to today. And so what does your firm at RogerWhitney.com actually provide to clients at this point? So we provide uh, financial counseling and financial planning and investment management. So we're focused on the planning process, really about how to manage your financial life. So I'm not a big fan of the financial planning term. It's more about how to make lots of smart little decisions as your life unfolds. And so your website is Roger Whitney with an H, RogerWhitney.com. What can people find at RogerWhitney.com? Well, I use RogerWhitney.com as the, uh, the home for the retirement answer, man. And what I do there is I talk about all of the issues that I deal with with clients every day. So when I'm dealing with an issue that a client has, I blog about it and I podcast about it because typically everybody else are dealing with those issues as well. And what I found is as you build that kind of community, everybody starts to come up with really creative ways to deal with issues during that time of life. So at the website, you've got uh, blog posts. You say you have checklists as well. What kind of checklist do you have at the website? Yeah, I'm a big checklist guy. So I'm, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that I'm not very smart in a lot of areas. So what I did was I created a lot of checklists to deal with certain issues when you're planning for retirement. So it could be what type of estate planning documents do you need to have? Or if I'm going to evaluate my net worth, what are the things I need to make sure that I review during that process? So I created a library of about 30 to 35 checklists that I use in my practice when I'm working with clients that people can access on the website for free to use when they're planning their own retirement. Because these are things otherwise people would forget about. I mean, it's just like a pilot or a doctor using a checklist. There's, it, you have the checklist, and having a checklist allows you not to have to think in, on that level so you can think a little bit more creatively about your life and not worry about that you're, you're going to – I think you're going to miss something. I think that's the biggest fear most people have is, okay, what blind spots do I have here in my planning? What am I missing? Because those are the things that could really blow up the whole plan, and you just don't know what those are. So 
checklist really help to avoid having those blind spots. And then you also say you have case studies on your website. What are those about? Well, I have I have a weekly blog called, or excuse me, a podcast called The Retirement Answer Man. And in January, I started to do live case studies with listeners. So in January, I did one with the gentleman we called him Carl. And over four weeks, we actually walked through the whole retirement planning process with him on the podcast. So they actually got to listen to uh, one of them go through their life and their goals and aspirations and their finances, and then we built the retirement plan for him. And since then, uh, I started to do other case studies because people are really resonating with listening to the process happen to someone else because a lot of times it seems sort of mysterious what a financial planner actually does. So now I do case studies every other month or so. So I can kind of get a sense of what the process is like. Exactly. Like in, in Carl's case, what we did was, as, as the listeners listened to the entire plan unfold, we actually had a webinar at the end of the month where they got to actually see, along with Carl, whether he could actually retire or not. So Carl found out with the listeners, and they were able to watch as we, in, in Carl's case, he was not able to obtain his ideal retirement that he had set. So they got to watch on the webinar and as we negotiated the goals that he actually cared about most to come up with a, a solution that could actually work. So I think people really enjoy seeing that type of process unfold. Great. So let's kind of take a bigger picture of retirement now. We have uh, 77 million, I guess it is, baby boomers, 10,000 of them retiring every day. Are a lot of people pretty well set for retirement when it comes, or are a lot of people <laughs> not not set? I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I think most people would say they're not, they're nowhere close to being set for retirement. Uh, and I think part of the problem is we're still using the old mindset of what retirement is in our planning. And, and I'm talking about the financial planning industry. So if you, you think about what's in the media and you think about what both financial planners talk about, retirement is still addressed like it was addressed when my grandfather was retiring, which was, you, you retired in your mid-60s, and you, you had a worn-out body, and you lived very uh, quietly, and then you passed away after six or seven years. And that's still how the retirement planning process is designed for, uh, as, a, as an industry, and that's not how people are living anymore. So I think if you use that definition of retirement, yeah, no, nobody's ready for retirement unless you're very wealthy, and I think that's where there's a big disconnect and why people are so afraid about it. So they either don't plan or they worry all, all the time. So I think we're, we're due to say screw that old structure of retirement and rethink this so we can plan more creatively about it. So you say people in general are sick of being told they should be planning for retirement so they don't do it. Is that right? So how do you get well, around think, that? How, how do you make it interesting for people so they actually want to plan and then actually implement the plan? Yeah, well, what I think they're, what I think they're sick about or they're, they're afraid about is all they're told is that they have to save more. They're not saving enough. They're told that all the time because they see the numbers of how long they're going to live, what inflation is going to do, what, you know, the long-term health care, and all these big financial disasters that are out there. So the solution is always save more and invest more. Well, a lot of people feel like they can't save more or they're – wanting to live some of their life now and not sacrifice their entire life for some perceived security later on. So 
the solution. The problem is presented to him as either save more now or you're going to have to settle for less later on. Well, if that's how the problem is framed, of course they're not going to want to deal with that. They're either going to be worried all the time or they're going to say, I'm just going to ignore it. So that's one reason why we have so many few people actively planning for retirement, in my opinion, is because the issue is framed in such a one-dimensional either sacrifice your life now or you're going to have to sacrifice it later on uh, structure. So what is a better, as you call it, multi-dimensional way to look at retirement, not in that traditional box? The way I look at it is it's about rather than think of retirement as climbing this Mount Everest where you have to build this huge cash pile of money, and then once you achieve that retirement, then you can actually be happy and live a balanced life. Rather than think of your life that way, I would suggest you think of your life more as a journey that you are enjoying all along the way. And part of that would be working a lot longer than you normally think you would work. So I'll use myself as an example. My, you know, The way I am designing my life as best I can is I'm living how I want to live, and I could see myself living and working the way that I am now well into my late 60s and possibly my 70s. So rather than – because I've accepted that I'm going to work longer than, say, 60, that requires me not to have to save as much now which allows me to have more balance in my life. Now, yeah, you still have to save, you still have to be prudent, but if you accept that you're either going to work full-time or even part-time and do all the other things like, you know, limit the amount of debt that you have and value experiences more than things, you can actually create a lot more balance than what people normally think they can create. Now, a lot of people say that they're working in retirement not because they particularly want to, but they have to. They haven't saved enough. Their money hasn't earned enough, and they have no choice. And you see a lot of people retiring and going back and working at Walmart or McDonald's or something like that just because they have to survive. Are you saying well, that? I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm just saying if, if you did it right, are you saying that would not be necessary? Well I, I think it, well, I think there are a lot of people, a lot of people that are working because they have to. They just have to. And... That is a result of a lot of different things. It's a result of not having the income, which is, you know, partly in their control, and maybe it's not saving enough, maybe it's not having the returns. And at some point, you just have to deal with the financial realities and do what you have to do. I guess what I'm saying is the earlier that you accept that you are going to work longer than what normal retirement looks like now, and you start to actively think about, okay, what could I do to earn income that I would enjoy and get not just physical engagement but mental engagement in? The earlier that you can recognize that, the better you're going to have, your better flexibility you're going to have in your financial decision-making to get more balance in your life. So, yeah, once you're there in retirement, if you don't have the assets or the income flows and you have to work, that's just dealing with reality. I'm talking about in the planning stages of before you reach that. If you start to think more creatively, you can design your life a little bit differently. When is it realistic to expect people to do serious planning for retirement? Ideally, the way you're saying is people should do it earlier. <laughs> that's, that's a really hard question, isn't it, Jordan? Because they, you know, my son at 19 should be thinking along those lines. Um, but in reality, that's a really, you know, far off 
foreign concept for them. I'll, I'll use an example of a gentleman I talked to the other day for an article I was writing. His name was Harry, and he retired when he was 52, which seems super young. But the way he described it, he, he thought of his life as three buckets. He had his work bucket, his giving or volunteering bucket, and his goofing off bucket. I guess he meant that as his personal life. And he worked at a major corporation. He actually enjoyed what he did, but he said, when I was looking at my buckets, even though I really liked my work, my work bucket was overflowing. So what he planned in his 40s to pay off all of his debt, work on living more modestly and valuing experiences over things, so when he was 52, he could retire from a career that he actually loved and have his work bucket, his goofing off bucket and his giving bucket be more balanced. So he spent maybe six or seven years positioning himself from a cash flow perspective to live a more balanced life. So that's the kind of thinking I'm talking about in terms of not just thinking in the one-dimensional way of just all you have to do is save and, and that's the only lever that you have in your life to try to reach some kind of financial security. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Roger Whitney. His website is rogerwhitney.com. He's known as the Retirement Answer Man. And we'll be back after this. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. Engage with Andy Bush takes you inside the mind of a top global market and public policy analyst who has been featured regularly on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. Tune in every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Roger Whitney. 
He's known as the Retirement Answer Man. Welcome back to the show, Roger. Hey, Jordan. Good to be back. So there's a lot of misconceptions about retirement, both planning for it and being in it. What are some of the common misconceptions you see about retirement these days? Uh as, as far as the investing end of it or just the, the planning? Well, the, pl- the planning for it and the reality of living a long time in retirement is the first part. You know what I think the biggest misconception is uh, that I never hear talked about is how people will spend during retirement. And just recently I've started to read some articles that talk about this, but I, and from a planning perspective, I don't see this being addressed. So if you're 60 and you're looking at retiring, and one of the first things you need to do is, okay, well, what, my, what is my lifestyle going to be like during retirement, right, Jordan? You, you know, how much am I going to spend? Because that's a big determinant. And then we all know we need to factor inflation on top of that, and you're going to live 20, 30 years in retirement, so you have inflation that you want to make sure you maintain your lifestyle. So the biggest misconception in the financial planning community, but also with individuals, is that you're going to spend that in that spending assumption is going to be the same throughout your entire life. So assume you're 60 and you're going to spend, say, $60,000 a year during retirement. Well, are you really going to spend that every year for the rest of your life? Probably not. And in my experience, most people don't spend that. And what we're seeing studies show is that there's really three cycles or three seasons of retirement. There's the what they call the go-go years of retirement, which is when you're in your 60s and you're healthy and you're active and you're doing things and you're involved with your grandkids and things like that. And then there's the slow-go years where you know, you've know you traveled, you've, you've seen everything, you've had those experiences and you're starting to settle down a little bit. And then after 70s, you have your 80s where it's, they call it the no-go years where you're really settled in and you know, you're, you're, you're starting to have a body that's worn out or you're, you're less excited about going off and doing things and you're really settled in. And absent major health care issues, your spending is going to run in those three seasons. And the problem, if you plan that, if say $60,000 a year for the rest of your life is your spending budget, well the way compound interest works with inflation, that is going to be a huge number when you're 80, and you're probably not going to spend that way. So one thing that we've been doing is actually forecasting spending within those three seasons. And what it will do, it's much more realistic than the current assumption that's used most of the time. And then what that will actually do for you is, in some cases, buy you more lifestyle when you're in those go-go years because you're assuming that your spending is going to curtail towards the, the, the latter stages of life. So you may do that, but you may spend money differently, maybe more in health care as you get into the, the no-go years than in the go-go years. So you're saying that your overall spending is typically going to decline even though you have to may spend, spend more on things like health care? It, it typically will decline unless you have some major events. Uh, you know, like a long-term care event and, or, or something like that. So it doesn't mean that you can you know, throw caution to the wind in that type of planning, but in, in practice, it ends up being that way. You're so, always so, going to have the outliers. So how do you plan on this? So, so say, take your, your plan, you're going to spend more in the early the go-go years and less in the no-go years, as you would call them. So does that mean you have to save less up front or 
what is the cash flow like when you're in those years? It's different so, from what people would normally do. Well, so I'll use an example of a client uh, where we just transitioned to a more uh, a more modest lifestyle. So she lived on a ranch that her and her husband, her husband is deceased, had owned for a long period of time. And she really had a lot of attachment to that ranch and her children and grandchildren had a lot of attachment to that ranch. But it was very clear that that was not something that would be maintained or could be maintained financially for her entire life. But it was important to her. So during what we did was we planned during her 60s that she would spend more than we originally forecasted so she could live there and enjoy that. And then when she turned 72, she would sell the ranch and move into a much more modest home closer into the city. So she would be near resources and have less overhead in terms of upkeep and things like that. And we, and she just made that transition. But by, by planning it that way, it bought her more years at the ranch than she would have had otherwise. You know, no, traditional planning. Traditional planning would have said, "No, you just need this. You, this is not sustainable for the next thirty years, so you need to leave now." Yeah. So it gave her years, as you say, better lifestyle. Now, in the investing area, what are some of the misconceptions that people have about investing for retirement? Um, well, I think if you're pre-investing, I think people put too much reliance on investing as the vehicle for the retirement. Uh, and that sounds really weird, maybe. But traditionally, investing prior to 401ks and IRAs was really only done by wealthy people, right? Wealthy people invested in stocks and bonds to preserve the wealth that they had created through their industry and work. And when pensions went away and 401ks rose, up, rose uh, investing sort of became democratized where everybody was investing, and the financial planning industry and the investing industry rose up as part of 401ks and IRAs. So everything has been, we've all learned, I was taught that investing creates wealth. And I take a little bit of an opposite view of that is investing, it can create wealth over very long periods of time. But in reality, for most people, investing is much more about preserving and growing wealth rather than creating wealth. And I think the biggest misperception in terms of investing as you work towards retirement is it's going to provide for your retirement. What's really going to provide for people's retirement is their work, their living below their means, their saving, their own creation of wealth. Every individual is their own creator of wealth. Investing is really meant to be a place to preserve and grow what they've created, which allows it to be a lot less aggressive than most people are. So I think that's the biggest misconception on the front end. One of the big problems today for retired people is they may have saved a lot, but they're not earning anything on it. Their their money is earning zero in CDs and savings accounts and money market funds and treasury bills and so on. Yet they're afraid to lose their principal because they don't have time to recover. So what do you recommend for people who've saved up a decent amount but literally are earning nothing on it these days? Well, I don't have any solution for how to earn something <laughs> without taking risk. So here's how I approach that. And, you know, I'll go back to my grandfather as the example. Well, in his, t- in his life, you know, when he retired in his, his mid-60s and was really only looking at living seven or eight years, 
it, the the issue was, you know, try to find something that's earning dividends. Now, with people living so much longer, it's really a lot more than that. It's going to be more of a total return aspect. So I'll give you an example. When, I, when we're dealing with somebody that is drawing money from their assets, we use the bucket strategy again where we have two years of living expenses in cash. And then we have another bucket of extraordinary expenses of things that they need to, to pay for in the next couple of years. And then within their entire portfolio, we have some shorter-term things like fixed income, more stable things, and then total return or assets that are meant to grow over time. Because you're right, we can't find you can't find a good CD, you can't find anything that's giving you good yields on your money. So I think we need to rethink. People need to rethink that it's not about owning something and clipping a coupon to get income. You need to think about it, of layering out your investments so you can give the more volatile things time to actually work. So that's on the investor side. Then on Social Security, without getting the details of it, a lot of people are worried Social Security is not going to be there just because of the demographics of the plan. Is, is that something people should worry about or they just shouldn't worry about the viability of Social Security? Well, yes, it depends on what age you are. I mean, I'm 48, and my only worry about Social Security personally is that I'm means-tested out of it. I think uh, from the, the studies that I've seen, Social Security is actually very solvable, um, and not just by taking away benefits, but just by means-testing. And what I mean by that is if you have so much in assets or if you make too much money, they take away some of your, some of your benefits, and they do a little bit of that already. But I think if you're over 50, I would not have any worry about it not being there because although the numbers are really scary, the, the, the levers they have to solve it by means testing for people, say, under 40 and restructuring it are pretty viable. So I'm not really as concerned as some of the articles that you read. So means testing kind of changes from what's now an insurance program where you pay in premiums and receive benefits to almost like a welfare program where you don't get out what you put into it. It kind of changes the, the structure of Social Security, but you think that's what's going to happen. Well, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I think that's one of the easiest things that you could do, and we've already seen it happen a little bit already with you know, Social Security now is if you make over certain amounts during full retirement, you're already taxed on it to a good percentage. So I think that's probably the easiest solution. Uh, being the way that it is now, and as you described it as you know, as a social contract, I think the social contract is going to change because it will not work if it remains as it is. So you need the political will to change that, which is not going to be easy to fool around with Social Security. It's not. It's going to be easiest to fool around with it for people younger because they don't vote as much typically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so they're the ones that are probably. But the gonna, baby boomers are the ones who are retiring now, so they don't yeah, want anything. Don't, think, don't touch yeah, don't, my Social Security. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I think that I think there's not going to be. Uh, it's just my personal opinion. I don't think if you're a baby boomer and you're, you know, fifty or over, that you have much to worry about in terms of Social Security. Possibly if you're extremely wealthy, but beyond that, I don't. I don't think there's a lot to worry about. There are a lot easier pickings politically to fix it than you. And so the, the, the three legs of retirement, Social Security, pensions, which is defined benefit and defined contribution pensions, and your own retirement. So on the pension side, do you see any change in defined benefit pensions going away, or is, or is, is that just baked in the cake right now? Uh, you really see them nowadays. So I think a lot of baby boomers have them, 
especially ones that have worked for large corporations. I, I just don't. I think you just don't see them. You start to get below my age. You really just don't see them even as an option. And I'll tell you, they go a long way in planning for retirement. So they are a huge benefit that most people under fifty aren't going to have access to. Yeah. So that it's, it's all been replaced by the defined contribution, the four hundred one k and four fifty seven plans. Yeah, which basically means that it's more imperative than ever that individuals take control of their financial life, not just from an investing perspective, but of how they make these smart financial decisions in their life, because it's really going to be all on them. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Roger Whitney. His website is rogerwhitney.com. He's known as the Retirement Answers Man. We'll be back after this. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace, Every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. If you are a woman who is in a transitionary state of your life, such as a divorce, marriage, upcoming retirement, changing jobs, or even careers, there are usually many financial decisions that you may be faced with. On Women Be Wise, host Darlene Gilmore can help with some important advice on a variety of subjects for women in almost any state of their financial lives. You'll want to listen every Thursday morning for Women Be Wise at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Roger Whitney. His website is rogerwhitney.com. He's known as the Retirement Answer Man. Welcome back to the show, Roger. Hey, Jordan. How are you doing? So in setting retirement goals, you say there's a better way to do it. Uh, You have a whole thing saying, screw retirement goals. There's a better way. What is the better way 
from what people normally are doing? Well, I, I think uh, a hard a hard part with retirement goals. One, I hate the word goal, and it, you know, one, it's overused. But if you're an A type personality, I'm going to guess that you are, Jordan. Probably like me is if you set a goal, you better reach it. If you don't reach it, you're a failure. That's sort of how we learned goals, right? Yes. And that's a really hard way in financial in in financial planning because what I care about now, I'm 48, and what I care about now for my future is going to change a million times. So setting a financial goal 20 years for 10, 15 years from now is will march me and start to limit my my creativity in terms of how I make financial decisions because it starts to tunnel vision towards those goals that you set and you start marching that direction and that that takes away a lot of the creativity that you can think about in your life. So I like to talk about priorities. Cuz I'm all, you know, one of the first things I say when I sit with a client is like let's get something on the table here very quickly. I have very quickly. I have no clue what's going to happen in the future whether it's the markets or the economy. I have no clue what's going to happen in my life in the next five years. Uh, so rather than us sit here and try to figure this out for the next 5, 10, 20 years, let's just accept that we can't figure it out. And now we're free to focus on having a lot of good little conversations to manage through it all. So when you're thinking of a financial goal or a financial priority, I like to set with clients one-year, three-year, and five-year financial priorities. And, and, and that's the first thing I do with every client because that gets us focused on things that we have some level of control or influence over. And then examples we, of priorities be like uh, paying off your mortgage or uh, buying a second home or starting a business. What would be some examples of high priorities yeah. people might have? Yeah, so that's a good example. Let's say I want to have my I want to be debt free in five years. Okay, well that means in three years we want to have all the cars paid off, and in one year we want to have the first car paid off. So the reason you want to set these priorities and the reason it's so important is because that sets the foundation for all the decisions you're going to make on your daily spending and the decisions you're going to make when you get windfalls or raises or bonuses. So if you don't know what your priorities are as a family, then when you're reviewing your net worth statement and you just got a $30,000 bonus, you're not going to have a context for how you should allocate that money. So if you don't know what you actually care about, then it's very easy just to spend that money or to go on the vacation or to buy the car. But if you're sitting near there and you say, hey, our one, our, as a family, we said we want to be you know, debt-free in five years and the first step were these cars – well, it's a pretty simple decision of what you do with that bonus when you're when that comes in, and when you don't have those priorities is when you really flip money away. And I'm I do it just like everybody else. I always have an excuse to buy a bicycle if I don't keep my priorities top of mind. That comes to the question of debt and retirement. So the ideal is to have all your mortgages and all your debt paid off by the time you get to retirement. But my understanding is a lot of people are not even close to that. They're getting into retirement with still pretty big mortgages, credit card debt, sometimes even student loan debt, either their own or their student loan debt of their kids or grandkids in many cases. Yeah. Um, so this is becoming a problem today for people. So what do you recommend for people who are entering retirement who just don't have enough money to pay off the debts that they've built up? Work. 
Well, is that enough? I don't know what else to say. I mean, um, you know, you, we, we, we all find ourselves in a situation, and that's why I use net worth statements because a net worth statement will show all of your debts, all of your assets, all of your investments, all of your cash, and everything else. Now, I understand there's only so much that we can earn, and that's a whole other issue of how you work to earn more money, but what I like about the net worth statement is it shows you the results of every financial decision that you've made. And ultimately, you could argue that it shows your values. And that, that, that might sound a little harsh, and I don't mean it that way, but it, it cuts through a lot of the, the reasons. So if you have a lot of debt on your, on your net worth statement, that is a result of all of the decisions that you've made over time. So if you find yourself older and in that situation, it may have been that life acted upon you, and that definitely happens. I get that. But there's only so many solutions. Right, so if you're in retirement and you have all this debt, uh, there's no real way to make it go away. So you either you need to figure out how to either negotiate with the with the debtors or create income from some source to pay those along with your lifestyle. Well, one thing people are doing is reverse mortgages if they've got some equity in their house to pay off at least their mortgage and some credit card debt. You think that's generally a good idea? You know, I've never, I've never explored seriously reverse mortgages. I know they've become a lot more um, mainstream and legitimate than they used to be. And it may be a great source depending on the longevity for you and your spouse and your entire financial situation. But I know traditionally they start off as a very fringe product and I think they've gotten a lot more mainstream. I have never actually uh, used or recommended one in my practice, so I don't. I can't speak too intelligently about it because it's not something I think about every day. But it's I definitely, think, if you think of your balance sheet, you think of your house. If you have a lot of equity in your house, that is your number one asset for a lot of people. And from a retirement planning perspective, I call a house a use asset. Right, that's a lifestyle asset. And if you have a lot of equity in that house, then it's oh, it's unproductive in terms of helping you retire other than giving you a living. So whether it's a reverse mortgage or changing your lifestyle or housing situation to capture or access some of that equity, uh, it definitely needs to be on the table. Have you been seeing grandparents taking on student loans for grandkids? Because I've been hearing more about this, that the parents are already maxed out. They've borrowed their home equity. They borrowed against their life insurance. They borrowed against their 401ks. They can't borrow anything more, and they're turning to the grandparents to save the parents for the tuitions for the kids. Uh, you know, I haven't. Have you heard of that? Yes, I've definitely been hearing this more and more because the tuitions are so high these days. Many cases over $60,000 a year for undergraduate, and the kids have borrowed everything they can borrow. The parents have borrowed everything they can borrow, and who's left but the grandparents. So this is the new, the new trend now is people going into debt for their, their grandkids' student loans. What? Well, I'll tell you, my, I, I have not experienced that. I, I do know parents that have sacrificed their financial future, uh, future at, the, at the mantle of their children's education. Uh, I personally think it's a little silly, um, to be blunt, in that I know also know plenty of people that, whose kids go to school with no student debt, and they are not wealthy people. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to choices. I mean... I went to community college for a year and then went to a state university and I worked my worked all through college and I see kids and parents thinking creatively to do that as well and I think 
that is something a lot of people aren't willing to consider. And I have seen parents sacrifice their entire future for, I can think of one parent in, in, in particular that had, you know, roughly almost $180,000 in student debt for their son's theater school. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me for the logic of that other than it's And you told money. them not to do it. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's their passion. Uh, and, you know, and I get that. I got a 19-year-old son who's in college, and I have a 17-year-old daughter who's a junior in, in high school. And I get that, man. You want to do anything for your kids. And I don't know where – and this is as, when you're advising clients, it's hard because I don't – when you're talking about school, I don't know where the line is of supporting and enabling. Mm-hmm. And that line is somewhere different for everyone. And I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm there just to point out financial realities in return on investment and give perspective to help people make decisions. But ultimately, they got to make their own decisions. Yeah. You have a blog about uh, dreaming up your own ideal retirement. And so what are the things that people should do in, in kind of lifestyle, not just the financial part, but lifestyle of retirement, both housing and work activities and travel? How do you kind of go through that process of dreaming up an ideal retirement? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a big issue for me right now because I think people – don't think big enough about their lives and their future for retirement. And that may sound weird because we've been sitting here talking about how hard it is and, and the economic realities of retirement. But my logic in that is I always force – I don't force anybody, but I always tell people they need to – I encourage them to think a lot bigger about their retirement and focus on their ideal and if you divide that between their needs, which are their basic lifestyle needs and health care, and then the things that they would want, and then the things that they would wish. So in the want category, typically it's travel and paying for wedding for their daughter and, and, and a few things. And then their wish category would be that you know new home or a world tour or giving a huge amount of money to a charity. I always start the process saying, okay, if you're going to walk into a negotiation, say, for a car, the one number you want to really know at the beginning is what, if I can walk out of here with a, and just totally steal it, what is that? You want the best case scenario. So you want to do that if you're negotiating a car. So why don't you want to do that when you're planning retirement and planning the rest of your life? You might as well go in thinking as big as you can. And if you think big enough, more than likely, it's not going to be achievable. But by going through that initial process and doing the analysis and finding out that it's not achievable, now you can start prioritizing and negotiating with yourself to, okay, what, which ones are really important to me and which ones were just wishes? But you never get to have that negotiation if you don't go in big on the front end. And what I see a lot is people coming in being too reasonable because they're so afraid of the future and they're so afraid of all the boogeymen of health care and inflation and the markets and everything else that they come in and say, like, well, I know I need to be prudent. So they put limiters on their life before they actually even do the analysis. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Roger Whitney. He's known as the Retirement Answers Man. His website is rogerwhitney.com. We'll be back after this.
If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. What do business and sports have in common? Both are based on competition, and the goal of each is the same, to win. If you're in business, you need an edge over your competitors. You need to innovate and improve. You need to make adjustments to stay ahead of your competition. Tune in to The Business Locker Room with Kelly Riggs. Get the playbook and the coaching you need to improve your business performance. The Business Locker Room airs live every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome to The Money Answer Show. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman. Uh, My guest this hour is Roger Whitney. Uh, He is the Retirement Answers Man. Uh, His website is rogerwhitney.com. Welcome back to the show, Roger. Thanks, Jordan. So let's. You're talking about thinking big and in your ideal retirement. What are some examples where you've gone through this, where people thought big and ended up actually doing some of the things that they probably didn't think were possible before by proper planning? I actually just had an uh, engagement end where we did that, and theirs was they had the normal goals: their retirement spending, their health care, their travel, their daughter's wedding some you know cars that they were going to need to buy during retirement. And then they had uh, a world tour where they wanted to spend a year traveling the world. And it ended up that it was possible that they, they would actually be able to do it. And not only that, they would be able to he, – he had since retired from his career and he was working as a personal trainer uh, – on the side and earning like twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year. And we actually discovered through the analysis that they would be able to he would be able to stop doing that immediately if he wanted to. And and part of the in the way we got to that is some of the things that we talked about earlier about, you know, you know, changing how they thought about their spending during retirement and realizing that, you know, their daughter didn't need that much that big of wedding. So 
getting to a more thoughtful assumption of what that wedding would be and a more thoughtful assumption to what their actual daily lifestyle budget was, which was less than they really realized. And by doing that, they were actually able to capture that wish of theirs, which was to do this grand world tour. I mean, this is something that we had a discussion about just in the last you know, couple of weeks. Great. So I, That's a very good example. Yes. Uh, another one I want to talk about is health care. Um, we, you know, we've got Obamacare now. We have people who are insured who weren't in the past. Uh, but the cost of health care seems to be going up and people living longer because of all these procedures. How can people plan accurately for the amount of they're going to need to set aside for covering health care expenses that are not covered by insurance? They can't. <laughs> they can't plan <laughs> accurately. They can't plan accurately because we don't even know what the rules are. Uh, and even if we did know what the rules are, they're, they're in flux considerably in terms of what the structure of healthcare is going to be over the next 10 or 15 years. What I, what I do say is you definitely got to plan for it. And there are some very reasonable assumptions for what private insurance costs, what the average person spends on out-of-pocket expenses before Medicare and aftercare. And you definitely want to plan those numbers and have those baked into the plan. Um, and, and have ample cash reserves on your balance sheet to deal with unexpected things. Um, on the proactive side, what I think people can do, and I see a growing, I see a big growing trend in this, Jordan, is people making one of the best investments that they can make from a financial perspective, which is investing in their health and pursuing obviously exercise and eating right, but not just that, but pursuing, um, you know, more alternative ways of thinking about taking care of their bodies and positioning themselves to be healthy during these 20 or 30 years that they may live during retirement. And that's something that's a, you know, the health craze has always been around, but I think people are thinking a lot more thoughtfully about that in terms of what they eat or how much they consume or what kind of exercise they have. Because they realize, so I like that because people are actually being proactive about taking control of it rather than feeling acted upon and like it's this un, un, unknown source that they, they can't control. And that's working. People are being healthier. Not everybody, but a lot of them are, and therefore living longer. But that still means that when, if they're living into their 90s or something, they're going to have a lot of health bills in the past. I've heard that like the last six months of life, you'll spend more in health care than the entire rest of your life combined in the, kind of the, the final stages, and that's where all the money's going. Yeah, yeah, and, I, I, and there is no solution to that. And I think as a society, there's no, no real reconciliation of that. I mean, that's a horrible thing. To, I, don't, I don't want to be the person to have to figure that out. <laughs> uh, but I do Medicare. The people that I know that are on Medicare, uh, they like it. You know, for mo- the most part, it works. But yeah, you definitely have outlier cases in terms. Well, what's of- not to like, except if it goes broke? I mean, what is the state <laughs> of Medicare? We talked about Social Security, <laughs> but people are much more worried about Medicare's finances. Yeah, I agree. All right, until you run out of other people's money, it works great. Um, yeah, I don't know the answer to that, Jordan. It, it, that's one of those things that that's why you better have lots of little conversations to plan along the way because. The world's going to change in so many different ways. And the key is, as you see things changing, let's say you're 61 or 62, you got to pay attention to that because you want to be early in noticing the changes so you can try to make as many active, smart decisions as you can early on rather than later on. 
Do you think that long-term care insurance is a good uh, bet that people should get when they're relatively younger and healthier? Honestly, no, I don't. And why is that? Uh, here's my problem with long-term care insurance. And I, I don't understand, I don't think the insurers understand the claims history that they're going to get. So if you think of long-term care insurance, it's a very new industry. So there, that, what that means is there's not a lot of claims history which means insurance companies don't know what to expect in terms of what they're going to have to pay out in benefits ultimately. And we're just at the beginning of these firms having to pay out money for claims. And we've just seen recently some major increases in long-term care premiums where they had not risen in years. And if you, whether you buy it early or late, if the premiums increase, they're increasing for you whether you've been paying into it for you know, 10 years. And we haven't even seen this huge bulge of baby boomers start to come into that season of life where claims are going to happen. So my worry is, and I've seen a few instances of this, is that you're going to pay into long-term care insurance for 10 years, think you have a benefit, and all of a sudden the claims histories really start to hit hard, the insurance companies, and your premiums are going to be raised. And I've had to deal with some of this analysis already of, Okay, you have three choices. You either buck up and pay the 50% increase in raise, or you stop paying on it and lose it, or you lower your benefits and to maintain the same premium. Well, those are all really three bad choices, especially mm-hmm. if you've paid into the policy for 10 years. So I'm very wary of long-term care insurance because I think it's such an infant industry. Nobody knows how these claims histories are going to pay out, and I think there's going to be a lot of people that are not happy as this plays out. We have about two minutes left, so why don't you kind of summarize the approach you have towards retirement, what a difference it would make in people's lives if they do the things you've talked about as far as setting goals and so on, as opposed to the way most people are doing retirement these days. Well, I think the key is you just, you, you got to accept that you can't figure out the future, so it's about how do you find that balance on your teeter-totter of living as well as you can today without sacrificing your tomorrow. And the only way I know to do that over my 24 years, and I've evolved to this, is you want to have lots of little conversations focused on the right things. And you want to make sure that you have these conversations consistently so you can adjust as reality unfolds. And I think you don't want to think that somebody has the magic key. You have all of the control. It's just having the right conversations and figuring out as your life unfolds. And I think that's the best that all of us can handle. And that's never going to be found in some fantastic investment or investment product. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Roger Whitney. He's known as the Retirement Answers Man. You can find out more about him, and he has blogs and case studies and checklists at his website, rogerwhitney.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Roger. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 